and welcome to another episode of Sounds from the 70s with Gary and Rob. Coming to you from the Better This Than Homeless Winchester building in the downtown metropolis area. Today's show, Rob, me, today's show is exciting. I'm going to tell you something. <laughs> it's exciting. You, you know why today's show is exciting? Uh, there would be another song, a uh, favorite song of yours tonight. Oh, there will be. There will be. Yeah, that, I, I, I'm that's crazy with anticipation. Which song is it going to be? Why you should. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Today's show is exciting because I couldn't think of anything for this show as far as segments today. I couldn't think, you know. Not a damn thing. You know, there are just some weeks when the old canoodle just can't come up with things. That's, that's, <laughs> when, that's when you find lost time again. That's, that's when you find lost time. And, um... Yeah, that's what makes it exciting, though, because we're trying to stretch out the show. Oh, we take the regular segments, just stretch them out. Yeah, just talk. Well, just we talk. got a perfect night for that. Oh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what that meant. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, and one of the reasons was there was nothing really online that was interesting. There was no any. There was, wasn't too much stuff that I found that was interesting, and I couldn't think of anything interesting. So, so there are weeks uh, like there were just you, weeks where sometimes you run into a dry spell. You got a quiet week this week. Yeah, you know, yeah, I could do it. Uh, there's another quiet week. Let me know a day before the show. I'll go out and light a fire somewhere. What I would love to do <laughs> is to do another segment of Gary Goes to the Record Store. I would love, I've been dying to do another segment of that. Do you not physically have to go to the record store? In order well, to... that's why I can't do it. Because uh... they're, they're not really operating right now because of COVID. Uh, the record stores that I want to go to, the good uh, I can go to some of the hip alternative record stores, but then they have a lot of alternative bullshit. Yeah, and alternative people. Yeah, they go, hello, can I They're interest not you right. in, in the milk bunnies? And I say, I've never heard of the milk bunnies. And no. they say, oh, oh, I see. And then they leave you alone. And perhaps you should exit the store now. <laughs> I don't think you're the sort of person we're trying to sell records to. <laughs> That's exactly what they're like. <laughs> used to be. They just wanted the customer's money back in the the good old days when, you know, uh, the salesman would screw you and sell you something you didn't need. And you don't know whether the guy talking to you, because that's the way these young guys are now, you don't know whether they're gay or just acting effeminate <laughs> just for the purpose of doing it. They don't know. They don't, Even they don't know. So, so the, the popular record stores are... are you know, I really want to do an, uh, another episode of that, but we're going to have to wait a little bit longer until this thing is corralled, as they say. Corralled. Yeah, hey, are they like using a... that on the news a lot? Corralled? I don't know. I haven't seen the news in several years. <laughs> I, <guess laughs> I asked the wrong person. You know, there is a record store online in England that I will not mention by name because I don't want to get sued. But they are... I, ha I don't have nice things to say about Oh, okay. Them, but I do get their emails because right. it's an it's interesting for what I'm going to be saying now, like topics and stuff. They will get in this record store in England because they deal in new records and old records, all types of records. They will get a first issue of a record from like 1969 or 1972 or something like that. And charge like five thousand dollars. Oh yeah, okay. Which is fucking outrageous. And I yeah. get these like three times a week because I get it from this this uh, record store. I get I get you know email from them, and they just had like 
the White Album. The first, and I admit that the a first edition of the White Album with the number, limited number on it, and, hmm. and everything is going to be expensive. Are they want to like like fucking ten thousand dollars? And I'm going like, are you kidding me? People in the me? world who will now pay for it, and there will be people. But you know what the problem is? There'll be few people. Yep. And records aren't meant to be like for few people. And that's what bugs me about these that. These are for a small amount of said, collectors. It's just for a and specific you, type of collector. You think those collectors are going to play them on the radio? No, it's mine, mine, oh, mine. Which, you know, that's why you have a collection. But still, you big jerk. As one of my heroes would say, <laughs> I'm in mine, I'm in mine. I'm mine. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> I've got the Beatles, but I don't quite get the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh... How was your week, Rob? I know you're not working now, but but there is promise of future work. Nah, uh, you know I'm not going to look for work just yet. I'm going to go on the dole. And, well, that's uh, what they say in England. Yeah. Excuse me, but I'm going on the dole, and they say, <laughs> oh, like the Pillsbury Doughboy, and you go, no, the dole, and then well, it keeps on going like. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The it goes around in circles. But, uh, With one person always failing to understand the simplest, <laughs> simplest thing. Yes, it's a classic tried-and-true comedy team-up. Uh, I'm trying to think of a British comedy team, and I couldn't think of one. <laughs> uh, so today, since Rob does not really have anything to say, because nothing's going on right now in Rob's You know, life. the only thing that happened to me is I've uh, done with drinking and smoking for, uh, by golly, Maybe six months. By the way, so it's hell on you earth. Smoke, I am in hell on earth. If you smoke more than thirty years in a row, like not in a row, but if yeah. you just if you constantly smoke for more than thirty years, you do turn gay, whether you're a woman or a man. I started when I was twenty-seven. Yeah, you're turning really gay. No, no, no. I still got another five years before, before I hit key. That's <laughs> because I started late. Your preferences start to change after a while. <laughs> you, can only, you can only smoke cigarettes for so long before you start smoking something else. <laughs> oh, false information. That's what we like to give up. So today we have another album request. I didn't say that right. I said it. With, I think I said it with two W's. You said it in album a, request. As a, as a wascally wabbit. I had a wascally <laughs> This is one by Bugs Bunny. Uh, today we have another album request from one of our listeners. We will be reviewing the 1972 live album from soul legend Donny Hathaway called Live. The live album called Live. A live album called Live. Cool. I bet you had a few laughs over that with the record company. Executive. Unless somebody went into the record store in 1972 and say, I would like the new Donny Hathaway record, Live. <laughs> and they would say, "Sorry, we don't have them. We just have this new album live." Oh, that's damn. not the one. That's not. The one. <laughs> that's not the one. Damn it! Um, <laughs> what was he thinking when he called? Could it you? That? And they would call you back too. Remember in the old record store days, they call you. Yes. Would you get that album? And could you call me back? And that poor guy has been waiting. I used all to these with, years with albums that, that were still um, in print. I, uh, you know, I talked to the dealer. They'd order it for me. And, uh, yeah, they'd order it. And they would. And uh, they would call you, and then they would. I love they those would people. Tell you, and I then love they would them. tell you when the album was actually going to be released. They could come in and say, "I heard the new Rolling Stones album is coming in." Oh, yeah, yeah. It's no, I think it's a couple weeks yet. But we'll call you when it comes in. Yeah, so, it comes thank into, you. Uh, Thursday morning, but you know, if you uh, got here late Wednesday, maybe. Uh... Yeah, they would keep it for you. They would keep <laughs> it for you. Yeah. 
times if now they charge five thousand dollars for records yeah because <laughs> they I know mean... they can get it that's what bugs me rob i hate to go back to this but i wanted to make this point is that the reason they charge so much is that they know somebody will pay that yeah. amount for it but they could charge like 400 but that would just mean it would go really quick and they wouldn't get their monies from their, yeah. monies, their money from it and that's what infuriates me about this company but anyways it occurs to me i'm undercharging for a bunch of stuff yeah, you should uh, you should charge, charge more thousands my... of dollars for your fog hat collection. <laughs> <laughs> I got some. I got some Uriah Heap as well. Hey, buddy, like fog hat? Um... <laughs> I got a scratched up copy of Grand Funk Survival. That's uh, uh, two thousand five hundred if you got it. Um... <laughs> you know, now that I think about it. Actually, I got the I got you. I actually have your scratched up copy of Grand, Grand Funk. I do. Oh, for criminy's sake! <laughs> and not trust like, me, people, it's very scratched. Up. Not, not like I've been looking for it lately. I just seem to remember it. <laughs> yeah, you kind of gave it to me. You had two copies of Survival. Right? Okay, yeah, because yeah. I kept getting uh, Grandpa to go to flea markets and yeah. With, uh, so you had a bunch of records. duplicate records that you gave out. Great selection. Yeah. But some of them are a little scratched. Yeah, they're a little used up. They yeah. were a little. Uh, uh, maybe uh, they used to be owned by somebody's sister. <laughs> so, you remember how sisters were. Today. It's a very funny <laughs> show today. I like this. We don't have much to work with, but we're doing our best. And I like it. It's funny. Um, well, I don't think we're going to get to this, but this is this was my uh, last-ditch effort if we if we had too much time in our hands, <laughs> which was to do a, uh, another uh, segment of Ask Rob, which... Uh, Rob yeah, doesn't like, and I'm on. not a big fan of. Um, <laughs> I can only I make up so much on the spot. Is. Uh, <laughs> this is, of course, the segment where Rob asks answers questions that are that are no, made up by me, yeah. and then uh, you find out more about Rob. That, well, that you really <laughs> Wait a second! Don't want to know. I just spotted the flaw in the show, and you just said it. <laughs> yeah. So we're only going to use that if we really are short of time. But first, Rob. It's time for odds and ends. Odds and ends are Lost and time ends. is not found again. It is not found again. No, it's not. Not much on today's show for odds and ends, but actually maybe there is. Maybe we can extend this out. I got one little tidbit. I've got opinions. Okay, for odds and ends. One little tidbit. I know you got opinions, but get your own show. Because you don't <laughs> contribute dick to this show. Why would you all of a sudden want to contribute to it when, uh, forget it. <laughs> I came across this little blurb. Actually, I think... I came across this blurb on the internet because I was looking for some obscure information about Donny Hathaway's live album, and some guy had uh, this little blog or whatever, and right below the Donny Hathaway article that I was looking for was another article he had right below it, which was about the 1974 movie Love and Molly. And I don't know if anybody's seen this, but this is a good story, actually. I have not. Listen to this. Listen to this. Okay, so Love and Molly. This is a movie that was extremely important to me when I was very small. Uh, and, well, the article was about how this movie is never shown on cable television anywhere, anymore. And it's never been released on Blu-ray. And there's only, like, one version that has been released on... Uh, what's the other? Not Blu-ray, but... Uh, uh, DVD? No, DVD, DVD. Yeah. Okay. Just one on DVD. And, and that was, like, <clears throat> 2001 or something like that when DVDs first started getting commercial. So, 
It's a, in, in other words, it's a very rare film to actually see nowadays. Is it, is it a Hollywood reason. movie or a non-Hollywood It's a Hollywood movie. movie. It is a Hollywood movie. Uh, the movie stars the beautiful Blythe Danner, uh, the mother of, uh, if not, if you people don't know, the mother of uh, Gwyneth Paltrow, who is just as beautiful now in however, I don't know, she's like almost 80, but she is beautiful. And she was beautiful in the 70s. Holy smokes. Bo Bridges brother of, Jeff, of course uh, Jeff Bridges um, Jeff Bridges and Anthony Perkins <laughs> <laughs> and oh and also it had in it Susan Sarandon who is also beautiful and just as beautiful again just like Blythe Danner as today as she was back then Susan Sarandon is even oh man I could go for an old if all older women look like Blythe Danner and Susan Sarandon come over here women <laughs> they're, they're doing something in Hollywood to prevent aging. Okay, that's enough. It's <laughs> my that's theory enough. my prediction. I got So excited. the movie, which, to be honest with you, I haven't seen in a long, long time. You forgot it existed. But you? I kind of had. But it was a very instrumental movie for me. And um, now the movie basically revolved around the story of um, there was Blake Danner. And then there was the two guys, and they didn't exactly fight over Blythe Danner. I guess they did in a way, but they shared her. And I guess that was pretty radical back then. Okay. Yeah, it was like, okay, when I'm away, then you can have her, blah, blah, blah. I've read about stuff like that in Letters to Penthouse. But what, <laughs> what, was, what was very radical for me when I saw this on the Midnight Movie, which I did, uh, I can't remember. About 10 years old. <laughs> it was the Blythe Danner. First time I ever saw boobs. First, first time boobs. I ever saw boobs on a television set. And it was like, oh my gosh, she's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I didn't know that you could show boobs on TV. That's, this is fabulous. And Blythe Danner's so beautiful. And she's running around with like her top off. I'm like, oh, this is so good. And... I'm telling you, the first time you see boobs, like, yeah. like actually, instead of in a magazine, but actually, whoop, whoop, whoop. and then you, um, uh, every time you pick up the TV guide, uh, you know, you, you scan through it, hoping you'll see it. You don't. But then uh, when you do see it, you don't see anything else in the <laughs> Oh, that's on then. Okay, done. I can put the book down now. <laughs> so there was that amazing thing that happened. I didn't even know at 10 years old that you could see boobs on TV. Yeah. Now, now I'm, now I'm watching every midnight movie after that. It had to be had to be late at night, yeah. yeah after it had midnight. to be late at night. Uh, I did actually notice it on just a few years later too, but it was on. Now they put it on like after the midnight. It was on two a.m. You know how they put the movies on it. <laughs> then you know they'd have the double feature and they yeah. put the on at two a.m. This time it was on. I can't. When I'm like twelve, as I was one the second time, I, I'm not going to be able to stay out to watch it. <laughs> so you would have been early and maybe set your alarm clock. Yeah, oh, but yeah, then uh, the family hears it, you know, I remember it? doing that. If there was something I wanted to watch, to sleep and then set the alarm clock and try and watch it at one thirty. Never, never <laughs> no. worked out. <laughs> Anyways, another uh, scene that affected me a great deal in that movie was somebody this is so stupid but it's true somebody threw up i think like Danner threw up oh. and i did not know first of all that you could show somebody throwing up 
at the time, I also thought that she actually threw up. <laughs> it, was, it was actually traumatic. It was. It was like, oh, is she okay? God. Is she okay? <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, and what happened that made her throw up? Because I really don't. I really don't remember what was going on in the movie. I do remember that they were kind of fighting over her and stuff like that. And one guy would do this. Bull Bridges would do this nice thing for her. And then Anthony Perkins would do something else. And she was caught in the middle. And then something happened. And then she threw up. And I was going, oh, my God. And I never forgot it. I still have it in my head. (laughs) I haven't seen this movie 10, 20, 30, 40 over 40 Whatever. years now, and I still remember that scene. I still remember the scene where she went topless. And I'm, but it affected me. It was like, oh wow, we can throw up in the movies. And how did they get her to throw? I mean, you remind me of a few uh, televised or uh, movie first, like uh, I think the first toilet flushing on TV was uh, All in the Family. Yeah, I don't think that I don't think they actually showed what was in the toilet that it was. No, but you heard it, and that was enough. Because this wasn't this wasn't like that was potty uh, humor. You know, Blythe Danner turned turned her body and then threw up. She went like brah, like <laughs> alien, you know, like coming out of the stomach. It was, like, <laughs> it was a big one, and it's yeah, and it shocked me. It shocked me, and it, I think it had an effect of well, I don't I don't want to throw up in public type of thing. You know what? <laughs> I got a fact, and this is true. I don't think even Rob, who knows me better than almost anybody in the world, knows this. I can't throw up. Did you know that I have not thrown up? This is true. <laughs> I tell my, my my family knows this, and they go, "Oh yeah, that's nice." I have not thrown up since 1984. Did you know that, Rob? That was, uh, I'm guessing, uh, there was drinking involved, was there? There was drinking there involved. There was drinking involved. And my body kind of changed after that, and I've never been able to, I haven't been able to throw up, which is actually terrible. You because know, when uh, you get really sick, and you throw up, and it makes you feel better, yeah. it doesn't happen for me. I just get You just got to go through it. Then. I got to go through it until the end. So it's been 10... 20, 30, 30, almost 40 years now since I've thrown. That's a true I'd, fact. At 40 years, we'll have, we'll have to uh, have a party for the anniversary. <laughs> that's what my family <laughs> said when it got to 30. They said, we got to do something. And it's like, that's got to be the strangest party. <laughs> <laughs> that is one to tell the other uh, friends about. <laughs> so right. now, if you ever see Loving Molly on TV, which is very slim that you that you would, Try and watch it because uh, it's not a great movie. But it's not like the other movies but of the time. It's not <laughs> a lot like the other movies. Of the exactly. And it was. And then when you watch, you think, "Wow, this had a huge effect on Gary." So this is <laughs> that alone is so cool. And show it to your ten-year-old child. Yeah. <laughs> it was a. It was. It's they weird. Won't be nearly it's as weird if all you people know what it's like <laughs> when you see things that are forbidden to you. For the first yeah. time, whether whether whatever it is, and this was the first time I saw those two things, and it really was like, yeah, you're really weird, busy being freaked out by the first thing, then the second I thing know. hits you. There's <laughs> a double whammy, and it's funny how these things that happen for the first, they stay with you. Yep. they just stay with you. I never, I didn't even know what the movie was called until a couple of years later, because I was only ten. But when I did, I was like, never forget this movie. Because I still <laughs> make a mental note. I make a mental note of it. So anyways, if you come across it, uh, watch it. That's all I can say. And you will see nudity and throwing up at you. I thought the movie I'm still trying to find from that area is uh, called uh, Killdozer. 
Yeah, I haven't seen that since like 1975. Yeah, I really I have. Scared the heck out of me at the time. So did I. Really <laughs> did. We got, we have to move on, but we're going to talk. Not, we are going to talk about Killdozers, okay? Because <laughs> oh, when yeah, we yeah. were kids, that movie was huge. When that movie was on, we talked about it in school. Like, oh man, it was. But nobody ever saw it after that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you never heard anything about it. it disappeared. Yeah. It literally disappeared. It's and of course, the movie Duel with Dennis Weaver, directed yep. by Steven Spielberg, which was played endlessly. And I tell you, I must have seen that movie on TV like eight times. And all eight times, it was fantastic. <laughs> it was like the greatest TV movie ever. I still think it is. I made uh, a point of, of um, um, having my friend download that. Uh, oh, that's such a fact. I have literally, since the middle 70s, have seen that movie just on TV, like six, seven times, and still, like, if you download it, I'll get it. Because <laughs> I love that movie. It, it's riveting from beginning to end, even if you know what's happening. It's just an amazingly yeah. uh, paranoia type of movie. And by the way, nobody really knows if there was a driver or not in that vehicle. No, you know, the only thing I ever saw was a hairy arm sticking out the window. Yeah. Freaky movie. <laughs> they made some pretty... The 70s was such a great era for music and movies. They really pushed the, the envelope, you yeah, know? Yeah, and then the fact that they're doing so many movie remakes nowadays. Uh, and they're the, never where, as where good the because... They're never as good because they don't... They went into weird areas in the 70s. They would. They would go into yeah. psychological aspects of... You know... That you can't do that. Maybe... Like Twilight Zone type Maybe stuff. it was because more stuff back then was taboo and had to be made untaboo. And oh, now there's so I, much I less stuff that's taboo. But they what have to explain about? everything. And there has to be a reason behind it now. Where back then you could say, there was no driver in that vehicle. <laughs> and they would leave you with that. Like there was yep. a lot of... There was a lot of... Um, supernatural spiritual stuff in the 70s that was so radical and it had to do a lot with the the thing about the twilight zone and that went into the 70s where they wouldn't explain things about things moving and it was like really nowadays they make the movie and then they explain it they say oh it was because uncle charlie wanted his inheritance <laughs> like, no. it, was, it was behind the uh, the closet doors with some wires attached to the, uh... exactly <laughs> <laughs> okay, now we're actually running over time, which I knew we would. When Boy. I think we don't have enough for the show, we run over time. When I think we've got too much, we're under time. Well, so, now we know if we don't have enough, we can pull it out of the hat anytime we want. But it's it's time for my top 30 songs. Those are songs. We're on 27 or 28? We're on 28. I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't matter as long as we get to number one, which is not number one. It's, it's just, just the end of the list. There is no, yeah, no not actual any, order. Order. It's just the order of me. <laughs> These thirty are more appreciated by me than all the rest of them. There. That exactly. These are thirty songs which I would I could hear every day for the rest of my life and never get tired of. They're magical, and there was no doubt from the beginning that I would have an Enero Morricone song on my list. <laughs> to be honest, I could have made half my list Enero Morricone songs. But having to choose the one song from the late maestro that I could hear every day of my life, even though this really was hard, this was, um, I had to, in the end, pick his theme from Once Upon a Time in the West, which is just a masterpiece of heaven brought down to earth for us human beings. And it's... 
first of all, Once Upon a Time in the West is my favorite Western of all time. And it has to do because the Sergio Leone movie is so fantastic and radical and crazy and amazing. But it's also because half the movie is in Nero Morricone's music, which makes everything even. And the thing I love about it, Henry Fonda, who for about 95% of his movies played the good guy, Sergio Leone said, I have to have Henry Fonda. And not only was Henry as the bad guy, but not only was Henry Fonda the bad guy in the movie, he was so brilliant. He was one of the most evil people I've ever <laughs> seen in a movie before. Definitely one of the top five evil, cold-hearted people ever, in definitely in a Western, if not in all of the movie. I'm just, it, it's just a staggering movie. And the music is just all-encompassing. And the scene where once upon a, the theme of Once Upon a Time in the West is played is an amazing scene. It's a scene where the beautiful Claudia Cardinelli, who is, uh, I don't want to explain too much in the movie, but she just arrived from Italy and she was a mail order bride. She was bought by this man who told her uh, to come over to America with, and he has his family, his wife had died and he's looking for somebody, and she said, great, okay, so she comes over to America, and unfortunately, <laughs> he had died along with his family. He All his family was gunned down by Henry Fonda and his bandits, and they enjoyed it. Well, Henry Fonda did. That's what, so despicable <laughs> character. So she comes, and he's supposed to pick her up, but he's not there. So she gets a wagon, uh, for a driver. She says, driver, take me to this place, and but take me to town first. And as they're driving, the music picks up of Once Upon a Time in the West, and they're driving through desolation to get to the town. And then as the music hits a crescendo, they come up over the ridge. And, you, and just as the music hits the crescendo, you see this town. I'm getting emotional as I'm saying it. And what it represents is the future hope a hope for a better life for her because she's like a prostitute or something like italy but hope of a of a normal life this little dingy town but it's made to be because of the music and the the photography and everything it's made to be havana it's made <laughs> to be beautiful beautiful and you do you catch that it can't help but make you swell up inside and say look at this this is the this is my future. This is everything I dreamed of. Even this town, the way it looks, and how it's not the prettiest thing on earth. The representation of it and the music just takes you there, and it just it's just like holy smokes. And that's what the whole movie is like. The whole movie is is music and great movie making. And when you combine music, great fantastic music with great movie making you have a classic yeah and great acting when you get like a usually a hit movie or a hit album uh, have a look at the, all the credits and uh, you start to see that uh, you know uh, they usually everyone in their particular field is pretty good at what they do yes everything <clears throat> has to come together to make a classic movie it's hard enough to make a good movie let alone <laughs> a classic movie 
but you have to have the right people. You have to have the right music. You have to know when the music comes in. You have to know how scenes go and everything has to be perfect. Now, there was a lot of music I could have picked. There's the whole Untouchable soundtrack by Nero Morricone, which is amazing. The whole Mission soundtrack um, is one of my favorite soundtracks of all time. There's... Um, I'm looking for a it. bunch. It's all in Italian, so it's it's the ecstasy of gold from the gold, good, the bad, and the ugly. Just just kills me every time. The final scene. That's the one where the uh, the, the guitar keeps speeding up and slowing down. Yes. <laughs> oh my god! Just Rob doing that gave me chills because as it speeds up and you see the three protagonists, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and they're Their all eyes moving the to gold. one another. They're moving to one another, and the music is building the tension and the great thing as rob has said before about instrumentals yeah is that it's magnificent when you have a picture with with the instrumentals but if you don't know anything about the good and the bad the ugly a good instrumental you can you can project something of your own onto it that that and i always remember when rob said that because yes that I think is a great instrumental is when you can make your own images for the instrumental. You don't need to fall back on a video or a movie scene. Although, and even when I, when I think of like the ecstasy of gold in the good, the bad and the ugly, which is just a devastating piece of music to a devastating scene. Um, I can still listen to the XD of gold and think of other things. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, <laughs> like, um, I know exactly what you mean. I was just thinking uh, Frankenstein by the Edgar Winters group. I kind of I got stuff I think about, and it doesn't involve Frankenstein. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly the point. That's a good instrumental. An instrumental that bores you, and I know I know that probably would apply to, like, where you can't think of anything, like when we did Weather Report, and you said, you know what, it just yeah, doesn't do anything Yeah, nothing came to me. mind. And you said that your mind wanders, which it does for me sometimes when I'm listening to jazz. It just doesn't do anything for me. That's when you know that the instrumental or, or the music is not it's not cut yeah. for you. And but when you can think of something in your head and it's your of your own making because of the music, and Anira Morricone does it almost all the time for me because he hardly makes anything that I dislike, to be honest with you. But when he makes something that's magical, it he is my favorite composer. He is my absolute favorite musical composer. For, and for lifetime achievement of uh for lifetime <laughs> achievement and i can take almost anything and you know what over and over i again. don't want to belabor this because we talked about this unfortunately when the maestro passed away but he didn't just play cinematic big music he played rock and roll too in his me in his if the soundtrack required rock and roll he did that very good he did <laughs> he also could play of course ballads once upon a time in america one of my favorite movies, again, is a great movie because of his fantastic music, which could be soft ballads. It could be big orchestra, cinema paradiso, right there, another one. I could just name them all day, <laughs> the great music. But he could play rock. He played a Henry Mancini-type theme for one for one movie, a very... It's an Italian movie that I don't think anybody's seen, but I heard I heard it on one of the CDs I bought from him, which is just as good, if not better, than any Henry Mancini music. He could do anything. All you'd have to do was ask him. He could he could do any form of music, and um, 
but you have to listen to once if you had to listen to one thing listen to the first of all listen to the whole album if you can get once upon a time in the west on cd listen to that but if you can't just listen to the song it's so amazing and it goes beyond a doubt that it's in my top three that's one of the movies it's beyond a doubt if i didn't have it on i would actually punch someone never no. forgive myself for the rest of my life <laughs> because if i didn't have that song in particular but any Eno Eno Morricone songs I would regret it because he has had such an influence on the way I write on the way I listen to music and on the way I watch movies so I was uh, skipping through movies uh, on the weekend uh, looking for one to watch in my uh, collection my uh, the, my buddy got me and uh, I kept skipping over uh, Once Upon a Time in the West it didn't have a, a date on it and I kept thinking it was like some new one that was about the cowboys and aliens fight. May you die. <laughs> I also want to recommend, because you should watch that, Rob. Really, I've seen the movie eight times, I think, and it moves me. It's about three hours. It's a long movie, but it moves me. Like, just like The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. All his, all his westerns that he made. They're big, aren't they? Are huge, <laughs> big, fantastic movies. You go for a fistful of dollars or for a few dollars more. The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, which is even better when I, than when I was a kid. I remember watching The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, it, it blew me away, the, uh, the, the, scene where, the, the Civil War scene where they're fighting over the bridge. And just the amount of people and setup to do that scene. Wow. It was staggering. Holy, there's no CGI there. Those were all hired people. And, and there when was we like would watch this as a them. kid, when we were kids and, and it would come up on TV, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. It was just like Rob said. You were staggered because you would see all these people as extras, and he would go, "There's to be a scene where everybody would be blowing up, and it'd be like three hours long." And that's even back then, because back then it was all cut up. Now you can actually see the movie. I don't know how long. I think it's over three hours now, or just under three hours, without commercials, because we had commercials back yeah, then yeah. when we watched it. It's just, it's even better now than when you're a kid. And it's hard to say that because when you're a kid, you're awed by everything almost. Yeah, because it's all new in the first right. time. But to, to be uh, continually awed over your lifetime by some work of art. <laughs> I also just want to That's recommend. Awesome. I was thinking about this when I was driving to the Winchester building tonight to do the show. I want to recommend a movie that I just saw just before I moved. So it would be about just over a year and a half ago. And it's, it's the last movie that Sergio Leone did of those westerns and it really gets ridiculed uh because i don't know they had first of all it was the one with james coburn and rod steiger and i know a lot of people haven't seen it it's out on blu-ray and dvd it should be seen i just saw it a year and a half ago for the first time i thought it was a, not a very good movie when i was going to watch it because it had such bad publicity around it and it had the terrible title it sergio leone wanted to call the movie duck you sucker which is a terrible title. It makes it sound like it's a funny old duck. You sucker! It sounds black exploitation. Yes, it does. <laughs> it sounds like a black exploitation. But you have to pronounce it, it so duck, does. you sucker. And you, it, it, it just doesn't work well in the North American market, and it just died here. And then they retitled it "A Fistful of Dynamite," which is a much better title. Uh, I don't know how you can find it nowadays. I know I watched it, and I think it on TCM. I think it was under "A Fistful of Dynamite." But on video, I think it's under Duck You Sucker because that's what he wants. Such a terrible title. And I, but the movie is long again, like all Sergio Leone movies, it's about two and a half hours long, but it's only a shade 
below uh, the good the bad and the ugly and a once upon a time in the west and i think it's of a caliber of a fistful of dollars and for a few dollars more it actually staggered me of course it has an iroquois morricone music to it which which helps but the story is fantastic it, it's sergio leone westerns are just amazing yeah. and if you ever come mm. across that movie whether it's 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 on your streaming service or whatever watch it it's actually a movie that for 30 or 40 years i always thought was a clunker because it got such bad reviews actually and people do think now that it's a lost classic because they've added the footage that they took out they always take out footage when they premiered in north america for some reason oh we can't show that now it's the full end of bitches and it's got all the scenes in it and i was staggered by it i wa i i watched that movie thinking that i was going to watch an okay western and i came back with the same feeling i got when i watched the good the bad and the ugly i was going like wow <laughs> well, yeah, the neat thing about the stories those long stories is they um there's so many um, uh, plot twists and different things happening, but they're not unbelievable fantasy made up plot twists that you wouldn't believe. They're like uh, what actually logically could happen. And uh, that's exactly that's what holds you. It's like, okay, this is a story that might actually happen. Hey, if it doesn't have a realism to it, I'm not going to like it. I'll tell you right now. Yeah. Because I like, I like me Westerns to be pretty gritty. 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 I do. Yeah. I do like them to be gritty. I do. I don't like the fanciful Westerns or the, the Westerns, like the old Hopalong Casty ones where, you know, they jump on the horse and they're all clean. And I, it, <laughs> it, it's nice in the background when I'm writing, but I don't take them seriously when I'm watching them. But a gritty Western with realism, I, 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 I'll, those are the ones that I just go nuts over as far as not just Western movies because they're, I don't know. There's something about Sergio Leone Westerns. There's that combination of the grittiness, the realism, the spectacularness about yeah. it, and the, the music all put together make for a monumental a watching experience. So watch those one, two, three, four, the Dollars Trilogy, Once Upon a Time in the West, and A Fistful of Dynamite. Those five movies are just incredible and should be required viewing for anybody that likes westerns or even movies digs on westerns for proper, <laughs> proper westerns exactly digs on westerns like a good hippie should oh that's a groovy western yeah, man. man when i watch that i said that's groovy man we could actually go way over time today because we still, we still haven't talked about uh, our album and speaking of today's spotlight album is by special request rob as opposed, to, as opposed to non-special requests. No. I give a lot of non-special requests. Some special requests go in the garbage. <laughs> <laughs> that makes them extra special. Uh, uh, today's special request is from Richard in Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania, which is just outside of Philly. Philadelphia, how are you? And I don't know why I had an Irish accent for that, but it's just outside of Philly, I tell you. <laughs> uh, it's an accent <laughs> that we don't normally hear around these parts, therefore it must exist elsewhere. Usually I should, you should use an a Irish accent <clears throat> when talking about Boston. But Philly, I don't know why I did that. Um, <laughs> he wanted us to review Donny Hathaway's 1972 album Live. And he told me, not, not by phone, but in an email, because we don't speak anymore, unfortunately. No. Nope. We've had our differences. No phones. <laughs> We've had our differences. <laughs> uh, Richard. Richard, you <laughs> should have took my girlfriend. Anyways, <laughs> he said, this is my favorite live album ever by such a talented man, and I'd like to know what you guys think of it. Well, you know what? With a challenge like that, 
I said, damn it, Richard, even though we've had our differences, <laughs> I'm going to, re- we're going right. to review this. We're going to be the bigger men. We're not going <laughs> to let this come between <laughs> uh, uh, what we're supposed to do on the show. And then, uh, yeah. Well, what you did to me was not right, Richard. It was not right. <laughs> now, Donnie, ha- Donnie Hathaway is, oh man, such a, such a sad story. And in fact, you, you hate to think of such a great artist and just think of the sadness of his passing instead of his work. His work. But you know, I remember I'm gonna I'm gonna skip right to the end and say I remember the day that Don Hathaway died. I was listening to the radio and and they said that, you know, he's a very troubled man. And not his fault. He you know, he was diagnosed as a as a schizophrenic very soon after this album that we're gonna review. And he only made albums up until 1973. Then he kind of disappeared and nobody knew where he went to. He wrote the mod theme, by the way. And then there's mod and sang it on the show. Not on the show, but that was his voice on this. And he was such a talented man. And then he just kind of, he never released anything. There's a whole bunch of stuff released after his death that fill out his catalog nicely. Um, Well, I'm guessing that was all recorded before... uh... Yeah, some of it was live performances, some of it was studio outtakes and stuff and stuff like that, and and an album he was working on when he died. Um, but you, know, I always think of that of the day he died, and I remember, you know, they said that that he was. I'll get I'll get to that in a bit where he he was in his hotel room that was like 15 floors up, and and then he jumped, and uh, very sad. But we will get to that in the end because because that's the first thing, unfortunately, that always enters my mind when I think of Donny Hathaway. A critic said here that Donny Hathaway's death may be the most tragic death in pop music history, and I find very little to dispute that claim. Um, but Donny Hathaway, I mean, he started started off. Um, he was like he started off basically in the music business as uh everything (laughs) you know he did arrangements in the studio for people he wrote songs he produced for people he produced for um actually curtis mayfield of the impressions hired him we love curtis mayfield superfly and man uh kurt uh for curtis mayfield's uh kurt tom records in chicago and he did all the arrangements for this song and that song and and he was the house producer there during the 60s and and uh all of that kind of stuff multi-talented man and then then he decided i can do this i can do this on my own i i can actually be a performer and he signed a record contract in in uh the beginning of the 70s 1970 and Recorded his album, Everything is Everything, which got great reviews. Then he had a second album, uh, just titled Donnie Hathaway, which again became uh, a huge disc. Uh, he also is also, if not more, if not as, if he's as, as, is famous for his death and his tragic life, he's probably just as much known for his collaborations with Roberta Flack. Uh, everybody kind of knows uh, the songs like, I just forgot it. Oh, the closer I get to you. And what's the other song? Oh, help me, people. Somebody phone in. Um, there was a couple of them, at least. Oh, there was one. Both of the, both <clears throat> of the closer I get to you. I can't remember. 
sorry people there's another one that's just played all the time that is is just great but anyways they had those three albums and then he decided i'm going to release a live album now this was not a contractual like all these albums in the 70s a lot of them were just contractual obligations or biding time until the next studio oh album yeah you whatever. had to have it out by a certain date record companies are funny like yeah that. yeah and then a lot of them were like that a lot of them were just you know what don't even have to pay for it. put the recording equipment there and it's done in one night and, blah, 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 <laughs> and, and then i can take six months off now. but no the his his album his 1972 album live which we're talking about um you can tell you can tell it was it was recorded on two nights one night at the both in clubs which makes a big yeah, difference yeah did you notice that? oh my god it makes that's why i love albums done in clubs <laughs> they're fantastic one album was done at the Troubadour in Los Angeles. Side one was, and side two was done at the bottom line. Uh, not Greenwich, at the bottom. The, Greenwich Village in uh, New York. Bitter End. Sorry, bitter it was done end. at the Bitter End. Same, same kind of thing. Yeah, in Greenwich Village, and that was side two. And this, do you know, this album was meant because he wanted to show his live act. This was not a contractual obligation album or a buying time type of album. This was, I got a killer show. And <laughs> I wanted I wanted as a document on record, and that's a, one reason why I like this record so much. Uh, it's also, uh, unfortunately, like like I said, it's near the end of of his recorded output in his lifetime. Unfortunately, something I didn't even know until this week. I thought that he had been recording sporadically up until the end, but no, he just kind of stopped in 1973. And just kind of went out of uh, uh, sanitariums and psychiatric hospitals back and forth. Um, so I did not know that pretty much everything ended in 1973. But it, it, it just it just comes at just the right time. And he's got this killer freaking band. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he's got, I'm going to tell you, it. first of all, I should tell you that the album is considered one of the greatest live albums of all time. I did not know this. By a uh, bunch of people who are not us. By a bunch of people who are not us. We this haven't made before, we haven't made our list. So. This is before <laughs> we even, you know, before even Richard said, "Hey, you want to do this album?" Yeah. And I said, "Sure, I'll do this album." It, I didn't know it was one of the greatest albums of all, the greatest live albums of all time. Rolling Stones rated it 48th greatest live album of all time. When you think of all the live albums, that's pretty. Good. That's pretty good. It is considered one of the greatest bass albums of all time. Willie Weeks has one of the great... You know how great his bass solo is on this record? It's so great that when I looked it, uh, on the internet, they even have a... It transposed. A trans a right right the, in like uh... the first two or three about how to play this bass solo for all the bass players out there. It is considered one of the great... Not only one of the great bass albums of all time but all but the song that he played the solo that he he did willie weeks is considered one of the greatest bass solos of all time um I, there I, are two I, things that really stand out about this album which is the one i i mentioned before is the band and the playing donny hathaway's keyboard playing oh my god when he plays yeah in the, in the the song the ghetto that's the the real standout thing i found on the oh, album was fuck. his keyboard playing. i hate to swear but i tell you when <laughs> he was playing the keyboards on the song the ghetto and you believe me the the two songs that are the longest on the album 
have almost no words to them. I think he says one line in the ghetto or two lines at the most, and it's all just, and it's never boring. Oh, and it's not jazz. This no. is like people There's just give There's a build her. to it. There's uh, a build to it. There's a, I'm given, everybody's given everything on, on both the ghetto and uh, everything is everything, which again has lyrics, but they don't use it. They just, he just says like, everything is everything. And then they go <laughs> for like 13 <laughs> minutes. But his playing on the ghetto is just, like I said, I it said, does oh, grab fuck, you, when I listen to it. it. It makes you stop, and I got to listen to this. I this is li- sounds I have to listen to. Every time I listen to this album, when I, when his solo came on, I said, okay, I don't care what I'm doing. Listen to this. Listen to this, mother. It's just incredible. And uh, the I'm going to tell you the people who play on this album because – he had an incredible hand. He had uh, Cornell Dupree on lead guitar. Uh, he also had Phil Upchurch on one side. And on the other side, he had Cornell Dupree. Cornell Dupree played with Rita Franklin. He played on so many sessions. He was known as the sole guitarist to get on sessions and play live. Uh, he played on the Aretha Franklin album we did last year. Um, we got Willie Weeks on bass, who is one who is acknowledged as one of the greatest. I was looking through the list of albums he had played on. Uh, Willie I, Weeks. Yeah, like I knew I'd heard his name, and I think uh, Dark Horse was the most recent one. George Harrison. Uh, He's very well known. Willie Weeks, if you don't know Willie Weeks, is very well known for being in Eric Clapton's band for like the last thirty-five years. <laughs> he played. He played on the Dark Horse album, which we reviewed. Yeah, and um, on five other George Harrison albums. Amongst amongst. Like, for some reason, the English musicians really love him because he played a lot with, or still does, Willie Weeks is still alive, played a lot with George Harrison, has still, I think, is in Eric Clapton's band and has been since, like, the late 70s or early 80s. Um, played with everybody. He is the guy you seek out to play bass in your band. Yeah, this really amount is. of time, they dig on his style. You know what? They dig Most on people his style. say, I dig on his style. <laughs> <laughs> you got a style I dig on those other guys? I don't dig on their style. They're just there. Earl De Ruin, who I've never heard of before, plays an amazing conga solo on this. And even Donny Hathaway says like three times, he goes, Earl De Ruin, oh my God. <laughs> and and he, um, uh, didn't he write a couple of songs? He did. He actually wrote one of the songs, one of the really good songs on this. On this, As far as, as, far as a couple of these are strictly instrumental, get your funk down numbers, but the the song he wrote, Hey Little Girl, or helped write, Ballad was actually of, uh, a very ballady. Um, we're going to go through each of the songs separately, but it was actually not a jam song. It was specifically four minutes of just great songwriting and great singing. And Fred White on drums. Fred White on drums is Maurice White's brother. Now Maurice White is the founder of everybody knows Maurice, of Earth, Wind, and Fire. Uh, and is a legend in his in his own mark. Just for his innovations in soul music and R&B. And everybody knows Maurice White, unfortunately, passed away um, just just a couple of years ago. But his brother, who's still playing drums in Earth, Wind, and Fire, who's amazing on this record, is only like 16 or 17 years old. <laughs> Come play live with me. Come play live, <laughs> pretty much. And he was playing on sessions when he was like 15. And Donny Hathaway knew, like, for somehow, like, I, I don't care if he's 16 or whatever. This guy kicks ass. Well, this guy, great backbeat. Just, he's just solid, you know? He did stand out. The way it was recorded, uh, there was guys I could hear more clearly than others, but the drums I heard pretty clearly. Yeah, the drums, 
The drums were really clear and up front. It's got, it's got that thing. We've talked about this. I hate to bring it up again, but I have to. They don't make music like this anymore. Soul music where people play the instruments. Yeah. And they play them. With soul. With soul. With soul. <laughs> There's a difference between playing soul music and singing to uh, computer-generated music in the background. Yeah. And I'm sorry, but most soul and R&B music nowadays is. And it suffers from the point. This is a good the, indication. The, the, I don't think I love anything except for early rock and roll. Like I do soul music played live or with live instruments it just gets to you know that rob we yeah. every time we do soul music i go nuts because the music is just it just floors me yeah Gal i think Green, we mentioned all earlier, that it, it, it kind of stands out among other forms of music it's so human like soul is the perfect yeah. uh word to describe it because it is so human yeah, yeah. it's <clears throat> so much soul in it and you have to you can play rock and roll with not much soul grand funk <laughs> sorry and you can get away with it in some ways you have to feel soul to yeah. play it and that's why i don't feel the soul music that's come out maybe even since the mid 80s is because it's become so uh, mechanized and and synthesized that digital and, uh, digital like and i can't i hear no soul in it except for the singing so how am i supposed to like it Soul to me is just as much the music as it is the person singing. The computer takes out all those little variations, uh, thinking that they're mistakes, but they're not mistakes. They're feel. Yeah, they're feel. They're, they're what was intended to be there by the person creating the music. And in that sense, uh, modern music and engineering is uh, is failing. It is. It is. It's I mean, I hate, I hate that we have every third sound. show we talk about this, but it's just a passion with ours that we know. Like, we have listened to all decades of music, and there is no similarity between uh, soul music from the 2000s, even way before that, to the music that was made in the 60s and 70s. There's just no comparison, and it only has to do with one thing. People playing the music, people not playing the music, okay? <laughs> that is the, the, they don't make, the sad thing when I was listening to this record, every time I listened to it, I knew that, you know what? This is an artifact because they don't even make music like this. <laughs> they really don't. And, and the, years, the, the, the years that these musicians mm -hmm. spent playing and getting good at their instruments, I mean, a lot of uh, nowadays music, uh, you can flash in the pan for a bit, but you don't get developed as an artist. Uh, you don't get a, a second or third album if you don't have a hit. And uh, yep. they come, they go. They come, they go. The second big point I wanted to make, which I know Rob wants to bring up, the first one, of course, that was a long time ago, what he said was the band that was playing. But the second was the audience. The yeah, audience yeah, is yeah. just amazing in this. The audience, of course, the sound of this album is Absolutely fantastic because it's recorded in a club and not in a canvas type. Yeah, of, most of your uh, of the live recordings are big arena and there's thousands or tens of thousands of people cheering and it makes that. And noise. it's just a big. It's just a whole bunch of people cheering like like it's yeah. one. But here you hear individual people and you hear I people got a spontaneously. Picture of like people uh, you know <laughs> around tables. Yes, <laughs> you do, and you can you can and you can hear girls going oh i love this you know you don't hear them actually say it but they scream like oh donnie hathaway's going into the he does that in you've got a friend he does carol king's you've got a friend and as soon as he plays the opening uh piano part for it or as he plays the uh keyboard part for it 
She recognizes it. She recognizes it and screams. And you go, yes. And then when he starts singing, a whole bunch of people go, yes. And it is so infectious that I can't even describe it. It's just something you have to hear. It is, you know how they say, and we reviewed this album, Frampton Comes Alive. They always say in Frampton Comes Alive, the biggest, the one of the big reasons why it was such a, a huge album was the audience. Well, I tell you, there's no audience <laughs> like this one. This even is even a better audience no. than Peter Frampton had for Frampton. This Frampton. audience was a pleasure to listen to. They were. And I'll tell you, I was I don't usually like this in music, as we talk about You've Got a Friend, but the audience spontaneously sang the chorus every time. But it wasn't like a sing-along type chorus, because I don't like that. Yeah, it wasn't. Uh, yeah. Donnie wasn't cueing them. He wasn't cueing them, and they were singing as if they were background singers. They were singing yeah. as if it meant something to them. And I'm telling you, it gives you chills down your spine. That's what was freaking me out. I was trying to think, okay, is that the audience doing that? Or does he have a huge amount of background singers on stage who are really like lively and into it? I, I couldn't figure they're, it out. Yeah, because they're so into it. They're not like singing... You just call out my name. They're singing like, you just call yeah. out my name. You know I'll be there. And they're all singing like that. And I'm telling you, it makes your mouth drop. You're just like going, this is better It's like they than look. even the song. This is the greatest version of You've Got a Friend just because these guys are singing to this it's song. It's like they loved hearing the music. Yes. <laughs> like the music had made them do this. It was like, you know how they say the spirit makes yep. us speak in tongues or whatever? It's like the music just made them sing with all of their gusto that they had in their body. And it's absolutely breathtaking. It is. It's just breathtaking. I'll quickly go through the songs. We're really running out of time on a, on a show that was supposed to be short. <laughs> but he he does uh, he only does eight songs on this record, but you're exhausted by the end anyways. So it's a great eight songs to pick. Uh, he does What's Going On, which was even brand new. Pretty gutsy to do What's Going On that's only a, a few months old by Marvin Gaye. Does a great version, not too different from Marvin Gaye, but still. Just a, a really good version. Then, of course, there's the ghetto, which has Donnie's uh, keyboard playing, which is just phenomenal. May, it's 12 minutes long. It goes by like three minutes. <laughs> it yeah, feels yeah, like it. Got the chance to hear the studio version. That one's pretty good, too. Yeah, studio version is good, too. Uh, then we're talking about, the, actually, Al DeRuin actually wrote the whole song. Hey, girl. Very nice song. Very good song. Um, then you've got a friend, which is a definite highlight. You know, I... I'm not a big fan of the song. I like the song, but I, I, I think it's kind of sentimental. But this version with the audience, with the audience it, yeah, <laughs> just blew me away. There is nothing that compares to this version. There's not, This actually makes this a great song. The audience actually makes this a great <laughs> song. Turns a good song into great. Um, Little Get a Boy, which is uh, uh, actually also written by Earl DeRuin along with Edward Howard. A very nice song. Very good song. Underwhelmed, unfortunately, by everything around it. Like songs like the two Earl de Ruin songs are kind of, unfortunately, kind of, for, even though they're good songs, they're forgotten in all the greatness around them. You yeah. know how that happens. <laughs> and then we got uh, 
again, a really good song by Donny Hathaway, who wrote that we're still friends. Very good song. And then you get a really funky version of John Lennon's Jealous Guy, which I really like. It's different. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, really gives another perspective to the song. Instead of an English type of ballad, it's it's more of a, a funky, cocky song of, I'm just a jealous guy, but too bad, babe. <laughs> <laughs> Love me for what I did. I'm not going to change. I'm not going to change. That's the... Not yeah, something I can It's do Jealous Guy about. with Attitude. Yeah, <laughs> and I liked it. I really liked it. <laughs> And then there is the piece, the resistance to the record, I think. Voices inside, everything is everything, where everybody gets a chance at their solo and everybody shines, but nobody shines better than Willie Weeks on bass, who just destroys it. The guitar, yeah, almost <laughs> called, also, also called. And it. everybody does. Everybody plays great, but Willie Weeks just was like, but it was like, holy smoke. But, but a melodic, not a jazz, you know, I'm playing a lot of notes. Yeah. But a melodic solo that you kind of go, oh, man, I can really get into this. And you do. Like, it's, again, almost 14 minutes long, and you think, oh, it's over? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I love this. I love this attention. record. It is actually... It is actually, even though I've heard so way too many live albums in my life, to be honest with you, because we grew up in the 70s and 80s when that was... They like, do a live album every four albums. They do so. a live... There would be a live album. So, so many live albums in one year. It'd be just... Oh. But, and I've heard way too many. And But you know what? This is one of the best live albums I've ever heard. I, uh, I love soul music played live. I just love soul music that's played by people. 1970s soul music is, and people know this who who listen to this show, it just drives me nuts. I just love it so much. And I hate where it's gone because it was such a short window. It was like 1968 to 1980, and it was such a short window. And so much more could have been done. But you know what? Treasure what you do have. This album gets, for me, four and a half. It's just short of just being a monumental five-star record. Maybe because of... Uh, just because there's a, a couple of songs which they don't, they have the misfortune of just not lifting up as much as the other. That's the other so, ones, yeah. yeah. It's not, so I uh, was, yeah, yeah. 100% start to finish brilliant. It's uh, only uh, about 94%. Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> my point. Yeah, it's not start to finish brilliance, but it's close. <laughs> I give it a four out of five. I liked it a lot. Uh, the one, the only complaint I could really register uh, from my point of view was um, once again with a live album, uh, you got one show to record it, and uh, that's what you got. And uh, a lot of the instrumentation, I could hear Donny Hathaway and his keyboards very clearly. I could hear the drums very clearly at all times. I could hear the audience very clearly. The other instruments uh, were not, uh, didn't come through as well. So I didn't quite. Uh, you know, it doesn't great come through very well is the uh, is the is the guitars when they're not doing a solo. Is very I I don't hear them. I, I, and the bass, hear, I don't remember hearing. Yeah, them. and the bass was very kind of in places over Tony where you could uh, make out the note but uh, couldn't quite differentiate. No, no, you're you're exactly right. Or the tone, right. but couldn't quite in, the, the the individual notes. I think I think I got lost in it a lot, <laughs> but when I didn't, like. Uh, yeah, you were enjoying the good the like parts. Like the Earl DeRuin songs. I'm not, I'm not, they're very good songs. They're just not up to the material that's being played. So when a song, when his two songs come up, uh, I focus a lot more on not getting caught up in the moment and listening. And then I, I agree, I agree with you 100%. Sure. That's when I notice like, wow, the, 
you know, where's the guitars and, and where's the, where's the, you know, why is the bass a little bit clearer? And uh, it sounds yeah. to us being picky, but we hear everything. Trust us. We do hear everything when we listen to it. Right? Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking they didn't quite have it mic'd up the way they do nowadays with a mic yes. for every instrument and uh, five, six mics for the drum kit. And even, even I'll even say, and this may be sacrilegious to some people, but even Willie Week's solo, could have been a, pushed up a little bit more. Just a little more. So yeah. that you could make it out. It sounds a little bit sludgy at times. You can hear it very clearly because for a lot of it, uh, it's, it's just, everything's dropped out with the drums. But uh, mm -hmm. So there's nothing competing with it. I but, think, but I think that they, they captured the one which you know, Rob knows. The feel of what he's doing, man. Well, <laughs> yes, the feel of what he's doing. But I think the bedrock of any live show is always the drums. And yeah. You know that I'm huge on getting a good drum sound. And yeah. I think they got an amazing drum sound out of this record. I'm not saying that it's okay to like not record the other instruments as good as they should have. Maybe that's all they were able to do with what they, like you said, what yes, they had. Yes, if you got a limited number of microphones and plus uh, you go into a new place, uh, each room has different sound uh, bounce back characteristics. Mm -hmm. So you do your best. Um, just wanted to add... You find you find the two places that they sound very similar. Yeah, yeah. That that you could have came if you didn't. Nobody told you you could have. Oh yeah, this is from the same place. Yeah. Yes, but I think they were all different engineers for the two places, and and they were, which which makes it even stranger <laughs> that you could tell the difference in the audience. The audience in the in the uh, first show from the Troubadour oh, yeah. in Los Angeles is crazy. <laughs> Crazy in a good way, and the audience is really loud in the second show, but not as crazy. That's the only <laughs> real difference. As far as the, it's funny how they almost duplicated the exact sound, uh, or mic recording, the, yeah, the, mic the exact recording, same yeah. way. Um, but yeah, I'm a little bit surprised. It's only four stars from you, but um, when you when you mention why, I, I can understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the only real. The but, only real criticism I had. But I think we can both agree, definitely, if you're into soul music, and you, especially soul music of the 70s, and you should be, if you're into live music, I mean, this is just, you listen to it, pick it up. It's, Musically, uh, it's, it's all there. It's all there. And Donny Hathaway, I just wanted to say, we're running out of time. We're way over time. <laughs> and I wanted to, you know what, we'll do that. I'll get to it some other time. I don't want to, we've, we've had such a good um, show. We've had a good review. It can only I don't go downhill from about, here. I don't want to Let's talk about it. the darker aspects, <laughs> even though it is interesting and it's sad. Um, I want to do another uh, Donny Hathaway album um, at some point, and we will talk about that because uh, it is interesting and it's interesting as a um, um, as a learning lesson. I think Donny Hathaway didn't do anything wrong. He was suffering from mental illness, uh, but I oh I do want to say because my sister suffers from mental illness, not schizophrenia, but she suffers from anxiety and stuff like that. And he did what exactly every other person does. And what my sister has done, even though she has learned her lesson, is that when you start to feel good on the medication, you think you're okay and then you go off it. Oh yeah, okay. And that's what Donnie Hathaway kept doing. And that's what almost everybody does who has serious mental problems. They get the feeling normal, and then they think they don't need it. And it's so sad, because Donny Hathaway could still be here. He could still be here, even all these years later. But 
everybody makes the mistake and this is the lesson that i wanted to impart was never go off your medication because they're given to you for serious mental illness like like uh uh psychotic when you're psychotic and have psychotic thoughts or when you're schizophrenic or for any serious mental illness they're given to you for a reason and they're supposed to make you feel like everybody else and normal so don't go off your medication because what happened to donny hathaway when he did was very sad and it is one of the greatest tragedies in pop music history and see, I did end on a glum note, which I didn't <laughs> want to do. <laughs> but God bless you, Donnie. I, I love you. I, I, I loved you in the, even when I was a kid and I heard his music and I didn't have any of his albums, but I would hear his songs on the radio with Roberta Flack. And I knew even at a young age how brilliant this guy was. And every everything comes around. And Donnie, there even is a movie that has just been made about his life which is going to get released it's a documentary thank god so that more people can listen to his music it's called uh mr soul i looked it up because i had heard about it but it was made I, I don't even know because of COVID. i don't think many people have seen it yet uh don't even know if it's released yet but i know it's finished so when that comes on and you're streaming on whatever netflix watch it because an extraordinary man who just who just had problems that we all have. You know, you're born with something. Some people are born without a leg. You know, he was unfortunately born with being a schizophrenic and there's nothing wrong with that. That's what you're born with. And it could have been solved. It wasn't, but uh, we're left with something like this. And, and it will live on forever. I mean, we're talking about this live album 10, 20, 30, 40, almost 50 years later. You know, isn't that fantastic? <laughs> isn't that fantastic? You know, those demons couldn't take that away. Yeah. Those yeah. demons. They won't couldn't. erase the work. No, they won't. So we had a long show today, but it was a fantastic show. I never usually say this, but when you're doing a show that you know is really good, <laughs> it doesn't happen often, but you know it when you're doing it. Uh, it just feels good. So it's, it's, it's such <laughs> a drag, I find, to be happy and know about it at the same time. <laughs> I hate that. Usually happens about what six weeks later. Comfortable oh, feeling. Yeah. 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 Hey, you know, I, think I was happy that back then. So um, next week is our last episode of our random album series. It will be my pick. Uh, there'll be pick? no listener picks because. Richard, I didn't. I don't like picking uh, albums from people that I have disagreements with. Yeah, and you started this, my friend. <laughs> Richard, you go to hell. Um, I'm going to pick an album uh, at random for you next week, and then we will be taking a week off, and then we will move on to another series. We will go back to doing our regular series thing. Okay, so you're going to like take a stack of records and uh, turn it sideways and throw a dart at it? Something like that. Usually I just throw it in. I just take a huge album, put it in my arm, throw it in the air, see which comes down first. <laughs> Makes it hard to play after, but what the hell. And then the, the one that's not broken, that's all. <laughs> you know, I, I like this album. If it wasn't so warped, I don't know why it's so warped. Um, so until then, as usual, take care and stay safe. Just right or wrong.